I don't have all the answers. I've got lots of rooms to improve. And so I'm eager to see those ways that I can improve to get better. And I'm not beating myself up over it. You're listening to the Christoph Lewis Podcast, a podcast where I have conversations with inspirational people. My name is Chris, but my family calls me Christoph. My goal is to have as many conversations as possible with people who have forged their own path by pursuing their dreams, making them a reality, all the while emitting positivity and sharing this knowledge with others. I seek these people out and share this information with you, proving to the world that you can do what makes you happy and do what you want for a living while being a good human being. We'll talk about careers, but we'll also cover any story that inspires. Let's do this while helping each other. Thanks for listening. I'm happy you're here. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Christoph Lewis Podcast, Create Your Career. This is conversation number 172, episode number 300. I'm so excited. I'm always excited, but 300, kind of a big deal. It's 300 because... We have two segments within the podcast. We have the conversations. Today's conversation is number 172, and then we have contemplations. The contemplations is where it's just me, and the conversations where I interview somebody, typically a veteran or a first responder, and I focus on transition, and I focus on helping other people, and I focus on how we can get away from feeling like we're selling ourselves short and finding a career, creating a career that is something that we want to do. So that's a little bit about the podcast. Like I said, today's guest number 172, my guest today is Jason Gardner. He's a retired SEAL, Master Chief, and he had a pretty incredible career. If you haven't looked into it yet, you could go into the show notes, check out his Instagram, see the good that he's doing in the world. He also is a leadership instructor at Echelon Front. Now, if you go all the way back to one of my first episodes, number 23, you'll find Michael Sorelli, who is involved heavily in that as well and uh, that's with Jocko and those guys as well so solid group of guys Jason is that guy he is solid he is somebody that helps people and understands how to talk to human beings and that is something that we talk about in this episode pretty deeply about relationships and a plethora of other great things remember you can find this episode on youtube head over there and subscribe you can hear it on audio as well head over to apple podcasts rate five stars tell a friend about the podcast too that's the good old-fashioned way to help a brother out (laughs) thanks so much for being here i'm always excited to do these so without further ado welcome to the christoph lewis podcast create your career thanks for having me christoph yes absolute pleasure to have you here been looking forward to this one just like i do every other episode. So before we get into the rest of the episode, do you mind sharing a little bit about who you are? Yeah, so I'm Jason Gardner. I'm an Echelon Front Leadership Instructor. I've been doing that for two years. Prior to that, I was a SEAL, a 30-year career in the SEAL teams. Um, and I've done every level of tactical leadership at several levels of executive leadership, you know, and I, and I retired as a command master chief of our uh, training detachment. And before that, I was a command master chief of SEAL Team 5. Before that, I was uh, ops master chief there. So just done a broad spectrum of roles. And then what's more is like being a SEAL from, I checked into Team 5 in February of 1988 to 18 when I got out. I've seen the whole continuum and spectrum of naval special warfare uh, special operations. I've watched us grow and yeah. 
Yeah, it's been a great, great experience. Yeah, that's incredible. Like you said, we were just joking a little bit about before Small World. We know a lot of people and me being a comms guy, I know how quickly technology changed in the four years that I was an RTO. And it was just mind numbing. Like there's no way you can know everything. So I can imagine between 88 and 18 technology changes. But I think one of the things that immediately comes to mind is how did leadership change and did it change? Obviously, you work with Echelon Front right now, and you do a lot of that, a lot of helping people still. And I was telling you, as a Master Chief, you help people all the time. But maybe did your leadership style evolve along the way? And if so, how did it? Yeah, so what I did notice about the SEAL teams is we started to the, the teams as a whole. And when I say, hey, we're, we're talking about Naval Special Warfare, noticed the value for leadership. And they started actually employing some really good training. Mm-hmm. Um and formalizing training that they required you to go through uh, as you made new ranks and things like that, which is super, super helpful. For me, like I, I never thought I would be a command master chief, but it's I was staying around, and so the way it works in the you know in the military, it's like hey, you're either going to promote or you have to leave, mm. and so I started being forced into these other leadership positions. That that was just a matter of me staying around. And I learned a whole lot. And and like it is with anything else, you know, right about the time I figured out how to do that last job, I was promoting out of it into the next job. Mm. And, you know, there's that saying that you you promote to your level of incompetence. And, uh, you know, I guess that could be true because that's when you stop promoting is when you just can't do that next job. Sure. But uh, it along the way, it's it's a growth process. It's a learning process. You know, one thing I didn't realize until later is that like, hey, my people are watching me all Mm. the time. So uh, I'm never off the clock and they're they're watching me to see how I react when orders come down and see if I roll my eyes. And then if I do that, I roll my eyes. I say, "Uh, we have to do this or whatever it is we got to do and roll my eyes. Now, all of a sudden, everybody else has got a bad attitude because I have one. Mm And, uh, you know, I'll juxtapose that with guys I'd worked for before. I worked for this awesome guy, Danny Carroll, when I was working in, in the training cell at SEAL Team 5. And he had a great attitude. And, you know, we would, we would have cleanup on Fridays. And I remember him going off to get our cleanup because it's like Frogman Fridays, right? As soon as you get, we do our big PT in the morning. Then we got field day. And when you're done with that, you can go home. So they have the field day things all broken out for what each element had to do at the command. And so the worst was doing the head. And so Danny Carroll's the chief I'm working for. He goes off to get our, our, uh, our assignment and he comes back and we're, we're in the office there. We're like, well, what, what do we get? What's our assignment? He goes, oh, we got the West head. <laughs> and he says it with a big smile on his face. And we're like, oh, he goes, oh, knock it off. This is easy. Come on, I'll show you. He takes us in the bathroom and he goes, here's the deal. Put on gloves and just get your hands in there and clean the urinals. And I'll bet, and and he turned into a competition. He's like, oh, mine's cleaner than yours. (laughs) And we had a ball. Yeah. Knocked it out. You know, he goes off to get the master rooms to inspect it. He's like, you guys are good to go. You're out for the weekend. After that. We would volunteer to get the head every Friday, and we had a good time doing that, only because of that example that Danny set. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know whether he volunteered to get the West head when he went in there. Cause he might have, or yeah. if that's just how it wound out, but here's the reality. You can't control what your cleaning assignment's going to be. The only thing you control is how you react to it. Mm-hmm. And so that planted a little seed in inside my, my little E5 brain. And um, over the years, I started to water it. And I haven't done the best job of it, but now I try to. It's mm-hmm. like, God, this is the ultimate freedom I have. However something goes, you can't control those situations. I can't control the weather. All I can control is how I react to the weather. That answers it well. It's an accumulation of experiences across which is your career. And for me, one thing that I've really tried is to focus on what I can and can't control. I've been out of the military for two years now. And to me, there's a lot more ambiguity outside of the military. I have to, I just have to figure it out. And there's not a lot of places to go, especially remote now. I I can't shoulder top somebody like I would in the military and ask for help and have it shown to me. I have to figure it out. So there's a lot of things that I can't control. And I think experiences like that with the leadership that you did describe in such a fun, you know, funny, simple example like that really sets the tone for a person's career. Like you said, somebody's always watching even the little things like you might not think about how you react to something. People catch up on that and very quickly. And it's cool how he flipped that around and kind of etched out a certain aspect of how you viewed that kind of stuff moving on. And then in totality, all those experiences help you do that. Like I've been studying a lot of uh, stoicism lately. And to me, it's like that it's kind of synonymous with that, right? It's what can I control? It's kind of defaults even back to just things are, they aren't really good or bad. They just are. And then you said, how are you going to react to them? So it's cool to be able to see that that was etched into you at an early age. I think that's a great example. It was a really cool example. I want to shift a little bit over to, you said 30 years in the service, uh, retirement, clearly. <laughs> but did you have a plan? Like, obviously, you're still doing things. You're still helping people and you're still kicking ass. But did you have a plan transitioning out? And I ask it with the intention of helping people that are, one, getting out of the military, or two, people that are transitioning from career to career, and wondering how you faced your transition after 30 years and if you did anything in particular to help prepare you best. Yeah, sure. So this is a slow motion train wreck that you can see coming from a while, a, a, a ways off. <laughs> sure. In most cases, you can predict when you're going to celebrate, s- separate from the military or when you're going to transition from one career to another one. So you can start doing some planning. You you can start looking out there and seeing where do you want to live, what you will be happy doing, and those types of things. Now, for me, uh, we really, really wanted the freedom to move somewhere more rural and be away from heavy urban areas. Like this this picture is taken just down the road from from where I live now. And, uh, and so we, we spent the better part of the last five years kind of researching where we want to live. And for a while, I was looking at just flat out contracting because that was an option for me. Um, you know, the terms that the contractors are doing, they're, they're not as long, but then, um, and, and it gives you the freedom to live wherever you want. Mm-hmm. So that, that was one thing that, that I was going to do till, 
You know, I, I've known Jocko since 1993. I was at SEAL Team 3 with him. When I had the opportunity to come work with Echelon Front, which I found that out about a year and a half before I retired, I, I was all over it. And then it was just a matter of like, okay, well, how am I gonna be a good member of the Echelon Front team? Um, talking to people, developing those relationships. And here's the thing, for a lot of military people, that is what you're gonna miss the most. You are going to miss that camaraderie, that relationship. You get out into the civilian world and no one's going to understand your sense of humor. Okay. In fact, a lot of people are probably going to be appalled by it. it, it, it if you're military, you get it. Police and fire, you guys seem to have the same sense of humor that we do in the military. And you get out and now all of a sudden you're not around people and you'll crack one of those jokes and then, you know, it's all quiet. Everyone's like, oh, and it's awkward. So, you can find people wherever you wind up and go that share interest with you and that have that same, same sense of humor. And so for like me up here, there's, there's firefight, there's guys that fight wildland fires that are, that are cut from the same mold that I feel like I'm cut from. But at the same point, I've got some super like more introspective and liberal friends that I really value, value greatly because they, they open my horizons and it's great to have discussions with them because they see things from a different angle. It makes mm -hmm. me better. But that peer group, that's the hardest thing for you when you leave the military. And establishing a new one, it's got to be your first priority of business. So, hey, a couple of ways that you can do this. Start playing like softball or going to jujitsu or do some kind of team event or something like that. If, if you're religious, get involved in your church. And, um, and, and it, isn't, it shouldn't be too difficult for find, to find people to build that relationship with, with others. Because no man is an island, right? And you need to have people around you to be the healthiest that you can be. And I find that, that I'm at the top of my mental game when I'm interacting with lots of people. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, there's a bunch of TED Talks on this, and I think there's a lot of data to support it as well. And so that, that's, that's the key. Look, at, in the military, you plan everything, and you're used to it. You wouldn't just roll out the gate without having a plan, and so you don't want to roll out outside the wire without having a plan either. Mm -hmm. It's great. Have that career planned out, but right along with it, figure out what your peer group's going to be. Because it might not be at your new job. And that is super, super important. I love it. I absolutely love it. And it hits hard with me because I struggle with that. I literally, I'm telling you, today had a conversation with one of my peers about this. A lot of people that I work with, and you'll find if you're not out of the military yet, that you'll continue to work with military people in some capacity, even the civilian, because they love hiring vets because we're good workers mm -hmm. and security clearances too. Definitely want to throw that out there. If you have a security clearance, use that in the civilian sector. But we had a conversation. People knew we work in tech right now and we work all remote and we struggle with that, Jason. We struggle with it every single day to find it because I can't go to the quote unquote water cooler and talk to anybody and we're all remote. So going out behind the scenes and going to your church or going to your softball group or who, whatever it is. And building you up like that, building that base up is going to help your work. It's going to help your family life. It's going to help everything else. But you need that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, you know, the COVID environment 
has made it a little bit more challenging mm-hmm. because it's it's difficult and it depends on where you're at too you know how socially acceptable it is to meet with people but that that human inter- interaction is really priceless and so that might mean and you're outside hanging around six feet away from everybody whatever mm-hmm. get out there and uh and do it you know yeah that's it. Just do it. One of the big things I talked to you a little bit, I was like, I want to talk about transition, a couple other things. Transition is one of the big things. One of the other mm-hmm. big things is just something I saw in my life. And that's why I created the podcast. I was like, ah, transition, not easy. Other people are struggling. I'm selling myself short. Other people are selling themselves short. So my next question is, I can tell in the world, within the military, outside the military, myself included, we sold ourselves short in our strengths and just overall. How can we help change that culture? of understanding that we're capable of more. Did you underestimate your abilities and get inside your own head? Yeah, I'm humble. Yeah. I, 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 you know, every step of the way along the thing, I've been suffering from imposter syndrome. Mm. Like, oh, people are going to figure out that I don't belong here, right? And so on the platoon chief, inside, I was like, oh, God, am I going to get discovered today? And it wasn't until I became a master chief that I got comfortable in mm. my own skin. Mm. But here's what that, here's what that did for me. It made me work even harder because I was like, eh, I don't feel like I'm good enough to this. So I need to do, I need to do harder. I need to ask this person's advice. I need to take this feedback. I need to do all these things that at the end of the day have made me a better person. You know, when it, when it mm-hmm. comes to this whole humility thing, um, you know, people mistake humility for meekness and it's not a humility. It, what it means to me anyway, is that, Hey, no matter how good I think I am and I don't think I'm good at anything, I always have room to improve. So, you know, I'm 51 now, back when I was 30, I thought I had the world figured out. And then when I was 40, I could look back at my 30-year-old self and say, oh, you're so wrong. But now you have everything figured out. Now I, I can just admit, like, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I've got lots of rooms to improve. And so I'm eager to see those ways that I can improve to get better. And, and I'm not beating myself up over it. Where I used to experience shame at my shortcomings, mm-hmm. now I'm like, okay, well, Roger that. But I'll just do a little better. I'll try a little harder and, and get through it. And I found as a leader, being vulnerable with my subordinates, and that's another thing that I wasn't able to do until I was a command master chief because I was comfortable enough in my Mm. own skin, then to admit to subordinates of mine, it's like, you know, hey, sometimes I have a hard time controlling my temper when I come home from work. Or sometimes like, you know, they'll say this and it doesn't make any sense to me and I want to complain, but I really don't want to. And then... It's such a relief, it seems to me anyway, when people are like, I'm not the only one experiencing this stuff. And they've made assumptions about who, who I am. Mm-hmm. And so the, sharing the vulnerability is, is, has been a real, real helpful way for me to lead. The other mm-hmm. thing that really helped me is that I want to see all of my, everyone that worked for me, I want to see them all do better that I did. And I really want the best for him. And so when it would come to the point when I have to counsel somebody because they came, they, they fell short of the standards in the back of my head, I would be saying, I want the best for you. So I'd always try to explain to them like, Hey, here's why you need to come to work on time. Or Hey, here's why it just makes sense for you to be in, in, in the right uniform and to have a decent haircut. 
because of the following reasons. Number one, you look professional. People are going to look at you and in one thing say, okay, well, this guy can drag a razor across his face every morning. So he's probably the same guy that locks the safe at the end of the day. He's the same guy that cleans his weapons in between run. He's the same guy that um, has got two tourniquets on his gear. So I don't need to look too deep there, you know, and and when you do that, you represent yourself in a manner that just makes your life easier. Instead of just yelling at somebody, get your freaking haircut shit back. So people were act, actually receptive to it. And when they realize, like, hey, he's got my best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. Actually, they would take for the most part, take take what you had on board, because I really did want them to do better. Yeah. And I think when you really care and you articulate that, and you understand how to articulate that, people pick up on that pretty quickly. Sure. And and so what does that look like? You know, sit down with somebody and say, hey, you married? How many kids do you have? Um, you know, what do you want to do next? Uh, what, what are your hobbies? That's all, that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. And especially as a command master chief, when I'd be talking, talking with guys and then we'd get off sidetracked on like something about barbecue and a tri-tip. And then I could see that their comfort level with mm-hmm. me would completely change because they're like, oh, this guy's a person just like me. Mm-hmm. He he likes to barbecue tri-tip. And now we could have conversations and then, you know, I could hear what's really on their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Relating with people. I say it all the time within my job now. And I only began to understand it during my military career and I'm still trying to hone down on it speaking of continuing to do that but understanding that this is my personal opinion no matter what line of work you're in you're in the people business you have to understand how to talk to people you have to understand that their relationships whether it's a relationship between you and I we just met we're having a conversation now we're respecting each other and we're listening to each other whether I go out here and I go have a conversation with my wife or the people that I work with during the day, it's all relationships. And I think, again, on COVID, since it's relevant now, we lose a lot of that because people are always doing audio calls. And I'll be the first one to jump on video, and I don't care how I look. I'm on video. I want you to see my face, and I want you to understand that I'm a human too. And then I ask my coworkers these types of questions that you were talking about, you know, grilling or whatever you're doing. What are you interested in? I want to get to know you a little bit more. And that comfortability allows for me the confidence to be able to work with that person a little bit more. I'd still be able to effectively do my job, but now we're kind of understanding each other a little bit more. And like you said, and we're able to be a little bit more effective in that. and we'll take any edge we can get. And frankly, I want to enjoy the people I'm working with as well. So it's great. And you talked about imposter syndrome, you talked about vulnerability, things that I think a, a multitude of people I've, again, I think everything we've talked about so far, I've been like, uh, oh, yes, that's been applicable to me. Imposter syndrome to me, I was telling you uh, where I worked out for a little bit, definitely had it there. Uh, it was it was nerve wracking as an E4 uh, when I got out of the military, my first job and now my second job outside of the military. It's all nerve wracking. Um, one of the things you said that I think is, again, massively applicable today's date is you said you had some friends, you know, you had yeah, Mike, Jocko, those gentlemen that you're working with. Um, but you also had some other type of friends that challenge the way you think, even though you might not agree with them. And I'm like, whoa, let's pause for a second and realize how important of a statement that is. And I actually, I was looking on your Instagram and one of the things that I saw that's applicable to that statement is you said, I will purposely look at something that triggers me. Most often, this will be social media posts by someone who has a different political or philosophical outlook than me. And the post goes on. It's really good. You guys should check out his Instagram, which is linked in the show notes. But I'm like, wow, don't we need more of that? 
We do. Uh, I think what's happened um, recently, and and I don't know if it's recent. It, it, it I, I kind of actually hate to say it. I don't think it's a new problem. People get inside bubbles, mm-hmm. and then they're only interacting with people that have the same opinion, and and they just it just becomes a big sounding board, and it's not a good way to be able to look at things objectively. Mm-hmm. So I will tell you that I have not found a person alive yet that I don't share some interest with. Mm-hmm. So I could tell, like, let's grab some kid off the street in a black hoodie, throwing bottles at an Antifa rally, and He's another human being, mm-hmm. and there is some piece of common ground that that he and I will have somewhere, and, and probably it's like, hey, we both like thrash metal or or whatever it is, or you know, like the same music, movies, something like that. And I really surprised myself when I quit using generalizations for people mm-hmm. and just looking at people on on how they are. And uh, that's one thing that that's a hard and fast rule that I have is I really try not to use generalizations for anybody because when you generalize, you dehumanize and we're all people. And if you look at someone that disagrees with you and you really drill down to it and you actually listen to them by repeating back what they said. Mm -hmm. So when they say, hey, I think this and you go, so what you're saying is. And oftentimes they'll go, no, 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 that's not exactly Mm. what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. It's maybe because that's how they communicate it. More likely it's because it's how you're hearing it. Mm -hmm. You're only going to find that you're just a couple of like maybe eight degrees off at the maximum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. And a lot of people who want like uh, socialism here, right. And they, in the United States, their reasons for that is they just don't want anybody left behind and they don't really understand. And if you get them to articulate a lot of the other stuff, all the other baggage that might come with that, mm-hmm. that it hasn't been thought through, or maybe you haven't looked at it and there may be some value in, into some of that. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a great way to look at how you do things and how you perceive the world and then balance it out. And my wife and I are able to have these great discussions. And the only reason we're able to have these is because of listening to Jocko podcasts. And especially Rogan is super good at this, where he can have somebody on that he completely disagrees with and, and they, it doesn't degenerate into a shouting match. Mm-hmm. He'll just ask them questions. He's generally curious. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a real virtue and it's something that I try to mimic. And it has paid off for me. I have some wonderful dear friends that are on the opposite end of the spectrum from me politically. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't trade their friendship for the world. Mm-hmm. It's great to be able to have that. I'm pretty sure yeah. I can safely say that you all are respecting each other again. Mm-hmm. When you have those conversations, I have a very small handful of friends that I can have those type of conversations with but they're some of the most powerful conversations because you said a sounding board. And the way I interpreted that, speaking of interpretations, is when you have a lot of friends that they probably have the same interests at you. That's why you're friends for the most part. 
but mm-hmm. they're going to be that sounding board and they're going to say probably exactly, oh yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. I see it a lot on social media too with the things I post. I try to post controversial things because I want one or two people to bite because I know that as much as these people yeah. agree with me, that's awesome. That's great. We're friends, but I want somebody to bite respectfully and say, you're full of shit or this is why. And now mm-hmm. it challenges me to understand, well, why am I I don't know if I'm wrong, but why am I saying this? And I get to hear them out. I think that is one of the biggest issues in in the country, uh, but probably also in the world and has probably been the root of a lot of issues throughout time uh, because people only talk to talk and they don't talk to listen. And I know that's a little bit cliche, but I think if you apply some of the things that you said, like you said, eight degrees off max, right? I think ultimately, whether it's socialist, or you're a capitalist or whomever you are, we want the best for people, for humans. We keep on talking about humankind. We want the best for those people. So we're just getting there a little bit differently and understanding maybe, you know, if we want to do it this way, uh, it's going to lead to some other things or we're going to do it this way, it's going to lead to some other things. But I think hearing each other out is exponentially important for launching forward and and not backward, you know, not back into the dark ages. We definitely want to evolve as a species, as a species, and that involves that uh, emotional intelligence. And, and the trajectory is things are getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, worldwide, I think violence is down, literacy is up, mm-hmm. poverty is down worldwide, and doesn't mean this is where we stop. Mm, um, it's where we keep moving forward and, and that, so there's hope, you know, we're not going to wind up in some post-apocalyptic blade runner type of scenario. Uh, at least that's not where the trajectory is going from, from my view. Yeah. And that's a great optimistic, um, objective view, I would say, because I think a lot of speaking of social media, it's just petrally exacerbated that it's a doom. It's just doom and gloom. We we know these things since the beginning of times. The media is going to perpetuate that thing. So I would again ask anybody listening, and I have the conversation with myself later too, but look around you and is, is that honestly what's happening? Is it? And a good to crunch data too. Even data is now kind of hard to find objectively, but go out into the world and seek the truth and understand that there could even be different truths. I don't always think it's going to be black and white. Yeah. So, you know, uh, on one of the Jocko podcasts, Jocko had a guy and I'm not sure of his name right now because he had a couple of these guys, but it was a guy that spent some time in the Hanoi Hanoi Hilton Hmm. and uh, it was a prisoner of war. And when he came back, all the stuff he saw in the media and stuff, and, and he was thinking to himself, why in the world did I even go fight that war for Hmm. these people? And he was really frustrated and then he looked around and he noticed that everyone he knew and everyone in his community they were all good people and it was good stuff that he was hearing and the media gives you bad news because that's what sells we are predisposed to look at negative stuff because it's a potential threat so our survival Mm -hmm. is kind of hinged on paying attention to what might be a threat and after a while, he's like, yeah, all this doom and gloom that I was hearing through the media, it's not true. It's like, everybody I know is good to go. All these people are good. No, there's, and, and then he let go of that low-level frustration that he was having that's fed by the media, um, which is why I spend a very small portion of my day 
looking at the news and I try to avoid the clickbait because it's just there to alarm you mm-hmm. so that you click on it and then they get advertising dollars from it. Yeah. And it's a trigger. It's always been there. Yeah, it's it's a trigger. They 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 call it, you know, jokingly we say trigger alerts, but I think it's mm-hmm. psychologically it's literally enabling you and setting your mm-hmm. mind off. Uh, it raises your blood pressure and all of those things. So, um, very good to be cognizant of those things. So, uh, we are nearing the end of our time. Unfortunately, already, Jason, it's been phenomenal talking with you even before camera. I just, I think it's hilarious to always, it's like you talk about eight degrees. It's like one degree, you know, barely, yeah. uh, that, you know, somebody. So it's pretty cool to be able to do that. And I think that speaks towards one of the points we were talking about building a community. We didn't dive into it too, too much, but developing relationships and, you always have somebody to go to and you know somebody knows you're good to go if you know that person and it's good to be able to build those relationships and reach out to people that are going through what you're going through too so don't be afraid to talk about it and uh, fight through it together but understand that you can get through it so jason before we get out of here please let us know where we can find you whether it be website social media whatever you want the instagram is probably the best social media follow on me because there's no limit on writing and stuff like that and i'm at jason.n.gardner g-a-r-d-n-e-r I also work for Echelon Front, and uh, we solve problems through leadership. I'm a leadership instructor, and you can find out about us at echelonfront.com. And that's it. Jason, it was a pleasure. Again, thank you so much. You guys will be able to find all of that stuff in the show notes. As always, head over to YouTube and subscribe if you're not there. Apple Podcasts and rate five stars. And tell me what you like. So, Jason, have a great rest of your night, and I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Christoph. Help me.